Welcome to a new series on the Speechly podcast called the Voice Pioneers Fireside Chat series. In this series, you can expect interviews with individuals who have made a pretty significant impact in the world of voice technology. We'll explore the past work that makes them a pioneer, while also exploring topics around the current and future user behavior with voice-enabled experiences. You can essentially think of this series as a discussion of the past, present, and future of voice tech. And the main goal of this series is to use the lessons that have been learned from the voice pioneers to inform and inspire the current generation of product builders in the world of voice user interfaces. And in this first interview, I am joined by Ian Freed, who is the co-founder and the CEO of Bamboo Learning, the creators of voice-enabled educational applications. And before starting Bamboo Learning, Ian spent over a decade at Amazon, having jobs such as the tech advisor to Jeff Bezos and VP of devices where he overlooked Alexa-enabled hardware. We discussed topics such as, what is it like to be tech advisor to someone like Jeff Bezos? Did Amazon have a plan for Alexa on the Fire Phone? What would voice experiences look like today if Amazon actually owned a mobile platform? What did general voice assistant platforms get right and wrong with the rollout of voice assistants? How do voice experiences for children differ from older demographics? And what are the benefits of multimodal voice experiences versus purely conversational voice experiences? We also dug into a bunch of other topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ian Freed on the Speechly Podcast. Hey, Ian, thanks for coming on the Speechly podcast for the Voice Pioneers Fireside Chat series. Uh, thanks, Colin. It's, it's really nice to be invited and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity. Awesome. Could you maybe start with just a, a quick background of yourself? Uh, sure. Happy to do that. Um, uh, my name's Ian Freed, and I'm co-founder and CEO of Bamboo Learning. Uh, I've been in the tech industry, uh, I guess, about 35 years now. Um, and my first, uh, I would say, professional introduction to uh, voice recognition um, and voice systems uh, was uh, leading device businesses at Amazon. Um, and uh, among other devices, uh, I led uh, the Alexa and Echo development uh, from the very beginning. I had some other things going on in parallel, but uh, uh, I did that and I also spent, uh, so I was at Amazon about uh, 12 and a half years and uh, most of that time in devices, but also spent a year working for Jeff Bezos as his technical advisor. So we can talk about that uh, if you'd like at some point, it's kind of fun. Awesome, yeah. So um, looking at the past, present, future of voice enabled experiences in this conversation and uh, looking at the the past as sort of a start, I think, um, like you said, 13 years at Amazon, there's a lot that we could talk about there. Uh, but I am, I think, uh, specifically drawn to this role as the, the tech assistant to the CEO. So maybe we could start there. Uh, could you maybe just describe this role a little bit more in detail and what your your day-to-day, what, what you were you actually doing um, as the, the tech assistant to the CEO? Uh, you know, just get his coffee. No. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a, a really interesting role. Um, and, uh, you know, people call it the TA or, or uh, the shadow is the other, other name. My understanding um, is that Jeff actually 
kind of borrowed the idea from Bill Gates. Um, I think, you know, they had talked periodically um, in the early 2000s. And, uh, and, and my understanding, I actually talked to uh, one of Bill Gates's former TAs before I took the job and, and talked with them about it. And I think he told me that it, it sort of comes from the notion of an aide de camp, which is uh, in the military. So the idea is um, stems from the, the notion that, you know, I think typically in the military, it's a general. There's a general who needs somebody uh, to kind of help them um, work through all the issues that are on their plate, but also really learn in that case from the general, uh, but in the TA case, uh, really learning from the CEO. And the basic notion is um, to be in all the same meetings, uh, to be another person who's listening to everything that the CEO is listening to. And if there are things that maybe aren't immediately obvious that um, in this case, Jeff was thinking about later, you know, I was in the meeting and he might, might ask me, what did I think of this and this and this. Um, and then the, uh, the, the most important actually in a way is what you do after the TA role. So it's a, it's really is a training ground uh, and part of the goal, obviously, is to just learn a lot about the company, but also how the CEO thinks through complex issues and mainly so that you can be a much larger leader after you exit the role and not have to sort of learn from the beginning how the CEO is thinking about strategy or execution. You, you learn it every day. And when you spend you know, a year plus um, with the CEO, um, you're learning, uh, you know, what are the, what issues, um, like one example is, um, and, and Jeff talks about this a lot, there are one-way doors and two-way doors. So that's just an example of something. And, and one-way doors are, if you make a, a decision and, um, you know, it's a tough decision, you can't really reverse that. Um, a two-way door is, well, you can make the decision, but actually, if it doesn't work out, you know, three weeks later or three months later, you can just reverse it and do the other thing. So that's an example. So, you know, just thinking through, oh, is this decision we're about to make a hard one-way door decision that, you know, once we make it, we're through the door and that's it? Or is it a two-way door? And it, it helps you think through um, different types of issues. So for me, um, everything I did after that, and would love to talk with you about some examples, I would say were informed by my experience uh, working for Jeff and um, I, not only for me, but for my teams. So my teams didn't have to learn how Jeff thinks through things. Um, I could help them understand it ahead of time. So it really helped a lot. Yeah, did, do you have any uh, maybe like good concrete example um, or lesson that uh, was was very repeatable or that you took with you. Um, I think that that one way, uh, two way door sort of comparison is, is really interesting. Uh, but do you have any good stories or, or concrete examples of uh, lessons that, that you took on with you into uh, your later roles at Amazon? Um, I mean, I think one that, you know, Jeff is really good at and um, it turns out like it might seem like a small issue, but it's, it turns out to be a really big one. Um, he has set up, set up Amazon in the early days to really be focused on data 
Um, and so, you know, how long does it take the website to load, for exa example? And you want that to be really short and keep making it shorter. Um, what percentage of packages arrive exactly on time? Uh, and, you know, maybe before I started at Amazon in the late 1990s, maybe that was 60%. And by the time, you know, I uh, was his TA, it was, you know, how many 99.99s was it? Yeah. Um, but the other, the, the kind of counterintuitive thing is, you know, you can go create all these reports and look at the data and Amazon's very good at work looking at both business metrics and operational metrics every week. Um, what Jeff also did is he had a direct line to customers. So his email, which he still looks at is jeff at amazon.com and he published it by design. And the a reason, it's not the only reason, but a reason is he found that if actual customers are telling him in email something that's counter to the data that he's seeing from a team, usually the anecdotes are right, <laughs> which is very interesting. Because if you think about it, like there's all these systems to go collect data, you're looking at the data, you think the data is telling you the real story, but actually, there might be something the data is missing and a customer will tell you, especially if you have a ton of customers, they'll tell you, you know, what the issue is. So um, I guess, let's see if I could come up with a, a specific concrete example from, from Kindle um, uh, or one of the other businesses about this particular issue. Um, yeah, I've got one. And this was actually a guy who worked for me, a great leader, uh, still at Amazon, uh, named Jay Marine. And, um, and this was a very interesting uh, scenario with Kindle. We sold out really quickly uh, when we first had it. And we were out for our first holiday. And that's all, you know, it's great on the one hand, because yay, we, you know, built them all and we sold them all. But you know, you want customers to get them as soon as possible. And so um, Amazon had built this system that uh, was mainly made for um, other fast moving products. Like usually when game consoles came out with a brand new one, they would sell out and there would be a line. And so Jay, um, you know, wanted to make sure that after we sold out, you know, if you're the 19th person to buy it when it's sold out, that when the 19th Kindle came off the factory, you would get it. And, you know, you, someone who's 74th or 10,042nd or, you know, 150,000th isn't going to get it before the 19th person. And um, we checked with the Amazon Ops team and they're like, no, 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 we built the system. It totally works, you know, works perfectly. And Jay started getting, reading the customer feedback. And customers were saying, you know, my cousin in Miami ordered it three days after me and their delivery date is ahead of mine. And Jay's like, these anecdotes are telling me, you know, our system isn't what we think it is. And in fact, Jay was right. He was absolutely right. And he kept digging with the operations team and saying, you know, I, I get what you're telling me. You think your software is working exactly the way you designed it. It's not because it's not one customer. It's like dozens and dozens of dozens of customers with these anecdotes. And so that was a great example. And I didn't even have to train Jay because, you know, he, it was so steeped in Amazon. He just knew um, to do that. But um, 
I think it's a good example of just the sometimes the anecdotes are in fact Jeff would often say if there's a conflict between the data and the anecdotes the customer anecdotes nine times out of ten if not more the customer is telling you what's actually going on so it's just one example yeah that's that's super interesting I, I can also imagine that uh, aside from uh, some of the more tactical lessons learned you also uh, like you said, if you're if you're sitting in on meetings and and all these different conversations, you probably uh, were involved in a lot of very interesting uh, topic topical kind of different conversations as it relates to the the future of Amazon. So I, I'm curious, uh, maybe not just taking lessons of of how you operate on a day to day basis, but in terms of uh, predicting, you know, where the business could go, where different technology opportunities could go. Uh, so you're, you're the tech assistant in, I believe it was 2005, 2006, give or take. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So did, did Jeff Bezos, um, or Amazon at even that point have any sort of interest or, uh, pay any attention to speech recognition, uh, at this time in 2005, 2006, because I, I do know that Yap, which was eventually acquired as the, the first sort of speech recognition, um, that was uh, put into Alexa was founded around that time in, in 2006. So uh, was there already any sort of uh, attention that was being paid to it at that point? Um, I wouldn't say that early. Um, there, there was uh, a leader at Amazon uh, when I first got there. Uh, he's still based in Seattle, a guy named Rob Frederick. And uh, he's got a startup. I forgot the name of the startup, but Rob's super smart guy. And he, I think, put together a pretty rudimentary um, voice-based purchase system that um, I think he demoed for me. I think, I don't know if it actually, I think maybe it went live as a trial. And then, um, and this was before I was at Amazon. So it might've been like early 2000s or even in the late 90s. And um you know, it was, it was, it was somewhat, I think it was somewhat phone tree like, although maybe, it, maybe it was limited to books and it could do a reasonable job with book search, but um, it never, it was so early in um, kind of commercial voice technology that I think that one kind of got put on the shelf. But other than that, and I do think like Jeff was aware of that, um, but you know, I think that was just, uh, hey, this is interesting, but it's not, you know, let's say it was 2003 or 2001 or 1999 or something. It was not something that um, was obviously going to be a huge success in the short run. But, you know, one, one other thing I just would say I learned about Jeff is, you know, he has an enormous um, kind of cache of, of, industry experiences and technologies that have potential. And I think another thing I learned at Amazon, um, both through Jeff and others, is just because the idea isn't right now, it doesn't mean it isn't a good idea. It just might be a timing thing. And I think other companies um, don't always do a good job at that. Like, oh, that failed, we tried that before. Well, you know, we could probably come up with dozens of examples of things that failed because they were too early. Um, so anyway, Amazon's pretty good at like dusting things off. Yeah. So um, you also said that you were 
the VP of devices for Echo, Alexa, Fire Phone. So definitely want to take some time to uh, discuss that role. Um, but I, I know that the the Fire Phone was released a, a handful of months before that first Echo device. Um, was there any plans uh, originally for Alexa on that Fire Phone? And if there were, what what exactly did those plans look like? Yeah, um, I mean the the thing I would say about Amazon um, and you know, it was definitely true of my teams. The first and foremost thing that you need to do as a leader is focus on the product that uh, you're building for your customers. And there's not a lot of time spent, like, especially in a V1 on, you know, efficiency or making sure that you leverage some other team's platform if it's not, if it's going to slow you down. Mm-hmm. And um, the reality is that we were, th- we knew as we were building Firephone, we knew that Apple um, was coming out with Siri. I don't think, I think when we started, they hadn't launched it yet, but we knew, we knew that was going to happen. And Google had certainly um, played with voice recognition um, and I and did some smart things about how to kind of bootstrap that. So we knew we had to have it at least, you know, in some form, whether it was in our V1 version or, you know, shortly thereafter. And then kind of in parallel um, and somewhat serendipitously, you know, we started talking to enough uh, different people, companies, you know, I mean, Nuance, I, don't, I haven't stayed up with what Nuance has been up to, but Nuance was sort of the leading third-party provider of voice technology for many, many years. They bought tons of little companies along the way, et cetera. And so um, what I would say is the goal of the Alexa team and the Echo team was to ship Alexa and Echo. The goal of the Firephone team was to ship Firephone with uh, all the things you need on a phone. And the way we kind of thought about it, by the way, it's also true of the Fire TV team because um, I incubated that product, but I wasn't going to do three simultaneous um, brand new products uh, all at once. But um, the general notion was if Alexa's working great, it will be the voice platform eventually for ever, all of the devices because you know you, that's it's a big enough thing that um, and and also it's one of those uh, types of platforms that the more it's used, the better it gets. So it would have been in every team's interest uh, to get on the Alexa um, voice recognition platform, but not to block their own launch to wait until it was ready. So that that it was a very Amazon's pretty good at that. Tactically get like ship your product because that's the first thing. And, you know, look at it for a V2 or a V3, um, bringing in Alexa. So I think that that, I mean, that's certainly what the Fire TV team did. And um, that was the general plan uh, with with the Fire Phone. Um, Because if you think about it, like Alexa had to be really good as a general voice platform. And in the early days of shipping a phone, there were tactical things you'd want to do with voice 
but you didn't necessarily have to, you know, be able to play music through your phone using your voice. This is a nice to have, but you know, that's not as important as, you know, call Colin, which is what you want to do on your phone. So, yeah. Do you think though, uh, with, uh, uh, voice experiences that, that we see today, do you think that, uh, that voice experiences would have evolved maybe differently if Amazon and, and the Fire Phone launch like went a little bit differently, if if it would have um, led to Amazon really having their own mobile platform, do you think that we would have saw um, the the way that we actually build voice experiences evolve differently? Yeah, I, I think there's you know almost certainly um, there would have been some differences, uh, and I, again, I think they tend to be in um, I. I what we concluded, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out, especially in, you know, 2010, 11, 12, phones are pretty utilitarian. Like you want to send a text, you want to order an Uber, you want to schedule a meeting, you know, you want to add something to your to-do list and um, vocabulary around that and the sort of use cases around that had Amazon um, had a really successful phone uh, program um, and embedded uh, Alexa in it. Yeah. You, you know, they would have been um, even more focused on uh, like texting and email and, you know, find a friend mapping is another good one, you know, give me directions to blah. Um, and I have to say, I, you know, I have an iPhone, I use Siri from time to time. Um, and I have huge, huge respect for Apple. I think they're an incredible company. You know, Siri has its hits and misses. And the one thing about Amazon um, is I think Alexa's core to its strategy. So I think if you added on top of that, a mobile platform that was successful, um, it would have just made Alexa that much better in more different types of use cases. Um, and so, you know, I think it would have been super interesting. I mean, you know, it would be a real battle if, if that had come out differently between Apple, Google, and, and Amazon. Um, and right now it's sort of these weird, like, um, you know, clearly Google and Apple uh, compete on, on mobile operating systems. Um, Amazon, uh, you know, it kind of competes more right now, as far as I know, with Roku on the on the TV devices. There was a time when it looked like Apple and Google were going to be huge competitors, and they're just not doing as well in that space. Um, and but you know, if you imagine all three fighting for mobile, because uh, the other thing that comes with mobile, I believe, is you. Um, Although I guess Apple's a, a counter example. If you have a mobile device, you should get really good at generalized search because you have a lot of people using your device uh, to search for stuff. So, and I think search and, and voice are very interestingly intertwined. I think it's why Google's so good at voice. They're just amazing at search and you know they, their, their searches feed back into their voice systems and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, obviously Siri brought a lot of attention um, and, and was sort of an, an, an early leader uh, for saying, okay, what, what 
can these voice enabled experiences become, but they didn't really have a, a, a robust way of um, letting developers take advantage of, of what you could do with Siri. And, and so then when uh, Alexa came along, I think they did a really good job of reinvigorating a lot of uh, attention and, and optimism around what you could do with voice. And along with that, we're trying to build a, uh, a robust developer uh, suite of tools and, and support. Uh, but I think maybe it fell a little bit short where um, it's like, okay, what can we do with some of these devices though? If makes it think like, okay, what if you had the same sort of optimism around the developer community, but poured that into a robust mobile platform? It's, it's one of those things you could think about all day long, but would be super interesting um, to see what, what type of outcomes could have came from something like that. But um, probably one of those that are, are meant for the classroom nonetheless. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I guess the thing I'd say is um, I'm a pretty strong believer and, and, you know, I would say at our company, Bamboo Learning, um, we felt this way really from the inception of the company, the voice uh, screens is better than just plain voice. Not, not for everything. Like I don't, I don't necessarily need a screen if I say, you know, hey Siri, call my wife or, you know, text Colin. I mean, if I'm driving, like you don't want a screen. <laughs> but um, the number of times that you're, you'd like to call something up on a screen using voice um, and, you know, in our business um, offering uh, apps for kids to learn like they want a screen and you can do so much more with a screen, but you know, there are many, many applications um, where having voice be the primary or, you know, half the interface, but a lot of the uh, interaction is happening on a screen. I think that's really powerful. And so the argument would be if Amazon had, um, voice deeply embedded in a phone platform and had uh, turned developers onto that combined mobile and voice uh, platform, would it have been not just 30% better than the developer platform on Alexa um, or the voice developer platform on Apple, which is kind of the, they haven't done a great job, as you just said, like opening that up to developers and making it easy. Um, and you know, I believe yes. And, um, and you could say, well, you know, why has um, the Fire Tablet business, which does have Alexa within it, you know, why haven't they been, they've been able to sort of capitalize on that potential um, in that platform? And, you know, the, the sort of ugly truth of that is, I don't think their implementation of Alexa on Fire tablets is working very well. I think there's still, I think it's sort of a second class citizen on, on the Fire tablet platform. Um, and similarly on Fire TV, I, like it works, but like there's, there's some things that break the customer experience with voice on both of those platforms. And, uh, and whereas in Alexa, you know, you can't break, like if you're developing for Alexa, it is a voice platform. So there's no, like, you can't break that. So there's, I think this is one of the downsides of Amazon letting each team develop independently um, because I, I'm the, the, imp, it, this gets pretty nerdy, but the implementation 
you have on fire TV and fire tablets and echo shows are different enough uh, that the customer actually experiences different things when they say different things to each platform. Sorry, when they say the exact same thing to different platforms. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a broken customer experience that they're going to have to fix. And, you know, they have a lot of things to work on on all those platforms. So that's work yeah. to do. Yeah. And the way I think about it is if like, you try and boil it down to think about it as simple as possible, you're, you're going to maybe build or, or design something differently if you have access to a screen versus if you don't have access to a screen. So with the initial project starting from without of a, without a screen, it comes with, I guess you could call it baggage when you do start to reassess, okay, now we do have a screen. Do we just layer this on top of everything that we know, or do we rebuild from scratch now knowing that we have access to a screen as well? It's a it's a tough question to ask, but maybe maybe that is a good segue because I, I do want to uh, spend some time thinking about the, the present and and uh, what you're doing now with Bamboo Learning. But maybe just to to put a bow on the the past, um, if you're reflecting back on on your experience at, at Amazon, uh, what do you think at at a high level that that Amazon and some of these other uh, bigger uh, general voice assistant platforms? Um, what, what do you think that they did right with the introduction of voice assistants? And then uh, what do you think they, they could have done maybe a little bit better? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for sure the idea that you could have a standalone brand new device or family of devices that are um, primarily driven with a voice interface. I mean, both, you know, I would argue, of course, that um, Amazon pioneered that. Uh, and I think, you know, it, Google was a fast follower, but I know they were caught flat-footed. We have absolute inside, you know, we knew as soon as that launched that Google was like, wait, where did this come from? Um, which is, you know, th that's, always a little gratifying, I'd say. Um, but, you know, Google did a great job basically being a fast follower and their products were, were good. I think um, the, uh, and, and I think their underlying voice platform probably, you know, if you do a head to head it, on many, many things, Google's much better than Amazon, um, uh, than Alexa. But um, so I think just like, creating a mass market for this new product category. Whenever you do that, that like, that's a huge win. It doesn't happen that often. Like if you think about the devices that are in um, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people's homes, okay, there's televisions, there's mobile phones, there's tablets. Um, Kindles are, you know, in the grand totality of Kindle sales, it's, it's a little bit less certainly than tablets, but it's up there, game consoles. Um, okay, you know, what else? Well, voice, voice devices. So that's just that, that's super impressive. And it came out of nowhere. So that they did really, really well. Um, I, I tend to think that the music experience um, on a voice device is amazing and we knew it would be and, and still is. Um, uh, and, it, you know, I think that keeps getting better. Um, I have believed in, you know, neither Amazon uh, 
nor Google, I think, will be surprised by this. They, they don't necessarily always like to hear it, but um, I think where they haven't done as good a job is I don't think they really put uh, the resources and um, especially around marketing and discovery of third-party developers, certainly compared to what Apple did for the App Store. There's no, you know, I was urging Amazon to do it for several years. Um, if you guys remember when uh, the App Store launched, there were these great ads on TV that would say, and they'd show, they'd show an iPhone, they'd show a hand with an app and, and the uh, voiceover would be something like, if you're thinking about uh, meeting your friend um, at a Thai restaurant, um, there's an app for that. And they would show, you know, like Yelp or something. And if you need to get directions to go uh, to the restaurant, there's an app for that. And they'd show, you know, Google Maps or something. And it just like was beat into our head that here's this device. It's not just a phone that you can use for text and browsing the web, but there's all these apps on it. And essentially anything you can think of that you might want to do on your phone, there's an app for that. It was a very effective ad. And I believe it dramatically changed the course of um, the developer community and the consumer acceptance of uh, a phone as a, as a brand new computing device in their pocket. And I believe to this day that Amazon missed that opportunity and they're still missing that opportunity because they certainly had the lead and they could have decided to do a large marketing campaign. I'm pretty sure I know why they didn't. I'm pretty sure I still think it's a mistake. <laughs> um, they definitely put a lot of resources on Alexa. Um, and, you know, I think Google was um, and still is behind both on how good the developer tools are, how large the um, developer community is, the number of apps that people use on Google devices versus uh, Amazon. So. I think that's a miss on both companies' part. Um, I'm hopeful that that will change eventually. Excuse me, eventually. Um, but uh, you know, I will also caveat this whole thing by saying the difference is we've known how to use screens um, with sort of a point-and-click interface. I get that you know an iPhone is more touch, but it's still kind of point-and-click. You're just clicking with your finger instead of a mouse. We've known how to do that for decades on a mass scale. And we haven't had a voice interface um, with generalized access to a whole range of apps um, for very long at all. So it, yes, you could, you could start your timer from the release of the iPhone and say, well, by now they had lots of apps and lots of companies um, and start the timer from when Alexa first launched and say, well, they haven't had that. But if you roll a clock back and say, well, when did voice or sorry, when did screen-based interfaces start? You know, it was the 70s. <laughs> so it uh, but I, I still think they could have invested more and, and supported third-party developers and and made it much clearer um, to consumers that there are these third-party apps. And you know, I think there's still missed opportunities today. I like if I were in charge, I'd be doing a lot different stuff than is happening now. But I am happily um, running my own business now. So, yeah, I think, and that's that's interesting. And I I think um, 
like you said, there, there's certain problems that are, uh, you know, in, inherent or part of, of the platform itself that, you know, you can't really fix from, from the outside. But I, I also like to mention with, uh, like you said, the, 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 the benefit or a really good um, success that, that the voice assistants had with just these devices now being everywhere. Um, I always think of without, uh, you know, the Amazons or the Googles or the, the apples of the world, we wouldn't have these problems um, or this industry uh, exist in the first place for us to have problems to solve at all. Uh, so you have to kind of tip our hat and say, you know, thank you for legitimizing this space so that we can go out and try and solve these problems in the first place. So I always think it is good to, to remember that. So um, I do like that, that you brought up that, that sort of point. Uh, but you know, we've been spending a lot of time talking about the, the past year, your work at Amazon. Uh, definitely want to segue more into to what you're doing with Bamboo. So um, how, how did your experience at Amazon ultimately lead to uh, the founding of, of Bamboo Learning? And then what exactly does uh, Bamboo Learning do or, or what are you known for? Yeah, um, well, uh, I think I'll start with that last part just because it'll put everything in context. So uh, at Bamboo Learning, we build uh, voice-based applications that help kids learn. And uh, it's pretty simple. The, the idea is pretty simple. The, the execution is, is challenging. Um, and what we've also really been emphasizing is a notion of what we'd call conversational learning. And I think I'm going to just come back to that. But um, conversational learning is a little bit different than, you know, like working on a worksheet or a tablet using, you know, your finger and stuff, um, or a pencil if it's a worksheet. Uh, but um, I would say, uh, getting back to the first part of your question, you know, what did I learn at Amazon uh, that kind of informed um, the, the founding of Bamboo Learning? Uh, a couple things, some of which we kind of touched on, but one is just that from the beginning, um, the vision of Alexa was that it would be a generalized computing platform. And so like we were just talking about, to me, that means third parties. It means Amazon's going to build a bunch of apps on this platform, but it also means if it's generalized, you know, the number of conversations I was in at Amazon about building on top of generalized platforms, like Amazon doesn't have enough engineers or money in the world to build every app that should be on Alexa. And so they have to be really good at enabling third parties. And so um, my notion was, wow, well, wouldn't it be cool to be one of the first third parties that's doing really interesting, deeper uh, types of applications on a voice platform? And so that's one part of it. Uh, and I should probably describe that a little bit. So, you know, it's easy to build a simple little app that where you um, might be kind of one and done. And, you know, I have respect for folks who jumped on early and, and said, like, you could, you could talk to your Alexa and say, play me uh, the sound of rain. And it would play the sound of rain. Or maybe it would come back and say, well, do you want like a drizzle, uh, a, a hard rain or a thunderstorm? Okay, you know, the, so that's three different things. But, but you're kind of one or two questions and you're done. And that's, that's cool. Um, or, you know, what time does my train arrive? Or turn on the lights. All those things are great, sort of one and done. Our goal from the beginning was at Bamboo Learning to do something where 
a child could be interacting with a voice-based, you could think of it as a tutor or teacher or helper um, for 10, 20, 30 minutes in a session the whole time with a voice device. So that means it really is kind of a conversation. And so we've done that. Uh, we launched seven different Alexa skills, uh, some for very different subjects, ranging from language arts to math, to listening comprehension, to music. Um, and uh, It's been an incredible journey to do that. Um, so part of it was just generalized platform. What really cool thing could we build? The other part of it is kids love this platform from the beginning. So I thought, well, let's, you know, let's, let's have a strong bias to doing something for kids. And then the other part of this is my co-founder uh, is a great leader um, in, in the education world named Irina Fine. Irina and I uh, first started working together in the early 1990s, and we just loved working together. Uh, we're, we challenge each other. We have complementary strengths. Um, neither one of us is afraid to kind of debate it, the other one. And we always get to a better answer together. And Irina has been a teacher and uh, educator and consultant in education, essentially her whole life. And so we thought, well, let's, let's, let's do this together. Um, and so uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, you know, we've, we've definitely uh, made life much better for tons of families who are struggling with, you know, kids at home and all, and things like that. Um, we've won five industry awards. Uh, we, we're a tiny team still. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, so those are kind of the, the, the most obvious things that I learned from Amazon, like, Hey, there's this cool platform. It's generalized, you know, what can we do with it? Well, our, our view is sort of anything you want to learn, we can do it on this platform. Um, the other things that I've learned are, you know, customer experience is critical, like make it great for customers, make it work. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, think about, uh, we, we wanted to get the customer experience right. And so we did that for probably the first three or four, um, different applications. Bamboo learning is, is our most recent one on the Alexa platform. We didn't introduce a paid model until, uh, the fourth or fifth skill, uh, kind of once we got the customer experience, right. And, and we think even our paid experience, like how you buy a subscription, it's pretty good. So um, I would say customer experience, you know, focus on the right things, dive deep. Like we found some platform issues that we had to work through with Amazon because um, we were diving really deep. We were doing things nobody else had done before on the platform in APL and other things. So, um, and there's, a, you know, you can literally go to Amazon and go look through the 14 leadership principles. And, you know, those are kind of in my blood at this point. Um, uh, so, um, those are, those are just a few things. Yeah. Very, very cool. And you know, this, this conversation sort of just naturally building, um, from like, you know, interest in voice to, uh, actually being involved and then, you know, making your own product. So now you have a handful of years developing experiences for Alexa specifically, um, which I imagine comes with a lot of different lessons learned on, you know, what, what does a voice enabled experience look like? What, what's possible? Um, so uh, I'm curious now, cause I, I know that uh, you're expanding the, the offering for bamboo learning to outside of, of just Alexa and, and are now releasing something new. 
uh, on mobile. So could you maybe um, discuss or, or chat a little bit about this, this new um, application from Bamboo Learning and, and what it looks like? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, happy to do that, Colin. So yeah, we, you know, we uh, took everything we'd learned in building uh, the Bamboo Learning Alexa skill. And we thought, you know, and we'd been out talking to teachers and parents and schools, and we just kept getting feedback. Like, I'd love to recommend this for my kids. This would be a teacher talking. I'd love to recommend my kids use this at home. It's a great tool. It really reinforces what I'm doing in the classroom. But the, the truth is I can't count on every one of my kids having uh, an Alexa device at home. And so, you know, well, what do they have? And it uh, turns out, uh, especially because of the pandemic, um, most kids, especially at the younger end, so, so our products are from kindergarten through fifth grade. So think of kids age five to 11, you know, four and 12 is fine, but you know, a two-year-old is not going to use it and a 16-year-old is not going to use it. But they were, especially the K through three, they said iPad, got to get it on an iPad. And um, because they said, you know, I know my kids have iPad or access to an iPad. And to make it even more true, uh, one of the things that happened to, during the pandemic is uh, there's a ton of money put into um, kind of helping families with at-home learning in the public school system in the U.S. And um, we have data saying that 80%, 80, 80% of public school kids uh, in grades, kindergarten through third grade, uh, were given a, an iPad in 2020 or 2021. And that's a huge installed base of iPads for us to be able to offer a product to. And so we did. And uh, you can go to the app store, actually in over 170 different countries, download the Bamboo Learning app for your iPad. It also works great on an iPhone. Um, and, uh, what does it do? Well, uh, we have, this is, this is really arena's brainchild. Um, we have over a hundred books that are leveled by grade. Um, some are in the free version. Uh, there's a, there's a bamboo learning plus subscription that you can optionally sign up for. Uh, if you do that, there's over a hundred books. Um, they're leveled by grade. Uh, when you first open the app, a parent can just set up their kids. Um, you can have up to six kids in the family. We did exactly the same thing on Alexa. You can have six kids there. And, and you assign each child uh, an animal-based avatar. So there's a tiger that growls or a frog that goes ribbit, ribbit. And so, you know, your third grader has the frog and your kindergartner has the tiger because um, kindergartners need to be a tiger with their older sibling. And, uh, uh, they, they get to pick books in their grade level and they can do it by voice or tap. And then we start reading stories and the stories show up on the screen. They can listen, we use narrated audio. Uh, so professional narrators do all the audio, uh, all the words show up on the screen so kids can read along. And then about every paragraph or so we stop um, and we ask uh, questions that are in context so listening comprehension based questions. So we have this, one of our favorites is called Davy Duck's Grumpy Day. Um, and 
uh, you know, we learn about Davy Duck's adventures and it's a really rainy day. Um, and so we stop after describing that and we, we say, um, was Davy Duck A, grumpy or B, happy? And kids can tap and hit grumpy on the, on the screen. So that's new. We have done that for the first time uh, on the iPad. Or they can say, you know, grumpy. And both of them work. And that's like simple case. But one of our claims to fame that we did in Alexa and really perfected it is open-ended uh, answers, open-ended questions with the ability to answer with a word, a phrase, or a full sentence. So an example of that is we, you know, the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy lived uh, in Kansas, or Dorothy lived in a log cabin on the plains in Kansas with her Aunt Em and Uncle Henry. Uh, she had a table and chairs and dishes and a cupboard, da, 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 da. We pause and we say, where did Dorothy live? And so kids can say Kansas. Kids can say, Dorothy lived in a log cabin on the plains in Kansas. Um, they can say, she lived in a log cabin. Anything in between, all those are acceptable. And we did some proprietary uh, kind of, fancy recognition and grading to make that possible. And we actually now have patent pending technology in that area. So, you know, I gave you a long description, but the basic idea is your kids can pick from a range of books that are grade leveled for them or go a grade higher or lower if they want. Um, they can pick a, a book from any grade, but they'll be offered the ones from the grade they're in. Uh, they can listen to stories. There's great sound effects. Uh, we have a panda who, kind of is their friend to help them along the way, um, give them hints if they make a mistake. And, um, and they're learning and they're learning in context through conversational uh, based learning. And, uh, you know, big picture, one of the things Irina uh, figured out, my co-founder, uh, Irina, who's the, the education expert. One of the things she learned is or, or her insight was kids learn all the time through conversation-based learning with adults, teachers, parents, you know, it's story time at home and the parents reading the kid and the kids asking questions or the parents asking questions. All of that is awesome. It's never going away. But the fact is parents are busy. Teachers are busy. There's not always an adult to have that conversational-based learning experience with the kids. So bamboo learning on the iPad or the iPhone is a great alternative to do that. And um, we're super proud of the product. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating uh, final point to kind of think about as well. It's, you know, these, these devices aren't going anywhere. And, and obviously there's different pros and cons of, of screen time, but how can you lean into the inevitable access that we have to these things and, and provide quality applications and educational materials for our kids. I think that that sounds awesome. Um, and I, I think that you mentioned a, a few specific uh, sort of benefits that, that come from using the platform around things like reader or listener comprehension, but what are the sort of concrete or, or specific uh, intended benefits for uh, children or, or different users of the iOS experience? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, if you look at, um, literacy broadly, 
especially among younger kids, there, there are a number of different skills that you're learning. One, I mean, obviously you're learning to just decode words. And, you know, there are plenty of kindergartners who can't read yet. And so, you know, one of the great things about our app for the youngest kids is they can hear the stories and be decoding the words on the screen while they're hearing the story. And moreover, you know, when they get a question, some of those same words, that, in fact, by design, many of the words that they've just heard in the story are within the question. And so they get to see and decode words when they're listening to the question and read, you know, potentially reading the questions. So decoding is one. Um, another uh, really big one is just vocabulary. So within these listening comprehension um, exercises, many of them are vocabulary words. So we might say, um, does the word surface mean um, what happens when you drop a ball or the top of something like the top of a table? And so that's right that's a different skill from decoding. It's vocabulary building. Um, another one is just overall listening um, and understanding what you're listening to. So that's just sort of standard listening and reading comprehension. Um, so, so each one of these different skills contribute to literacy. And you know, ultimately, literacy is probably one of the most important early grade. Um, it probably is. I mean, I'm a math guy, so I, you know, I, I, um, I think math's really important too. But I think probably literacy, uh, Irina could tell you like that. You know, literacy is probably the most important learning skill that you can have. It, it, it's, it encompasses vocabulary, spelling, grammar, phonics, reading comprehension, and we address many of those uh, through the Bamboo Learning app. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and uh, I'm curious because obviously um, before you're you're building for Alexa and, and different devices like that, and, and now are expanding to uh, iOS, the iPad, iPhone. Um, do you think that there were any benefits or any of these benefits of just Bamboo Learning in general that were almost magnified or intensified by having uh, access to just a truly multimodal? Uh, experience versus um, I'm going to call it a converse, like purely conversational channel, but essentially just a channel where you don't have access to uh, a visual, um, a visual tool as, as well is, is there benefits that are, are, you know, just purely from that, that multimodal um, experience that were uh, magnified when, when doing this, this project? Yeah. I mean, some, well, first of all, we just think it's more fun. <laughs> so, right. And I mean, for the kids, I mean, we think it's more fun too, but, but, you know, um, kids being able to see illustrations in the books, um, it, it, you know, there's a reason that a lot of books for younger kids are filled with illustrations because uh, kids like them. And, you know, I remember reading to our sons when they were little and, you know, you'd read the page and they want to, pause at the end of the page and just look at the illustration. And so that's one It just like, it's just better. Kids like it. Um, the more they like it, the more they're using it, the more they're using it, the more they're learning. So it's just sort of, that's pretty basic. 
But some of the things I just alluded to, like decoding words, if you don't have multimodal, there's nothing for kids to see while they're hearing it. Um, so they actually can't decode the word um, by sight. They can start learning vocabulary just hearing it, but they can't understand what the words um, look like, I guess I would say, or the way they're pronounced is another one. So, you know, we talked about early readers who are just decoding. Well, you know, if you're a fourth grader, there are plenty of words you might be able to read the letters, but especially, you know, in the English language where there's all these weird exceptions. Um, I remember I was a little bit younger. I think I was six and I learned the word, uh, to spell the word scissors. Um, and, you know, it's S-C-I-S-S-O-R-S. -S -S -S. Well, the, when you're six, why isn't it skizzers? <laughs> you know, because there's an S and a C. So um, there's the ability to see the words and how they're pronounced by professional narrators is a big deal. Um, so that's part of it. Um, uh, you know, I think Irina also had an insight. This is a I think it's super smart. Um, it reminded me of a very Amazonian thing that she did. You know, we were debating like, should how are we going to do this if kids can either speak or touch? You know, should we favor one or should they're like, how's that going to work? And Arena's like, just let kids decide. They'll decide on every single question if they want to answer using their voice or touch. I'm like, well, that's genius, <laughs> you know, make what? them sort of equal. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, let kids decide. Well, that's very, you know, customer friendly. So, um, and when we've done some testing with kids, it totally works. You know, they're like, they often will touch, um, but sometimes, you know, they, they uh, not only sometimes, but much of the time they're using their voice because it's easier. Um, we do have open-ended questions where we, by design, we don't have a touch affordance. So like, where did Dorothy live? The problem with having a touch affordance is you're narrowing the choice of possibilities, you know, because there has to be something to touch. Mm -hmm. Did she live in Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, or Texas? You know, well, you just like, if you're listening at all, you're going to remember, oh yeah, right. It was Kansas. Well, if you're listening, but maybe not super carefully, and we ask you that question, you might not, you might not remember that it's Kansas. So the open-ended questions, I think, are really important in um, developing uh, listening and reading comprehension. So, that, so we are relieving them there. Um, we, we have debated whether there's some things we might do in the future uh, on those. So, so these... The multimodal is critical. I, I I would venture to say like our, our listening and reading comprehension. I mean, we, you can do it on, um, on an echo dot. I mean, it's available in the bamboo learning. It's just, it's just harder. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I, I also think you have a, an interesting view into um, just overall user behavior because uh, I, I can imagine user behavior with um, a, a voice-enabled experience looks a, a very different from children who maybe don't um, have as much of the baggage of, uh, you know, using mobile phone or, or a laptop or some of these other devices their whole life and, and only know, uh, you know, interacting with, I guess, a touchscreen or a voice-enabled device. Um, I know, I think we've all seen the, the kid that, that runs up to 
some sort of flat screen and start smacking and tapping and thinking that you can uh, just type and swipe and tap and do whatever you want to control it. Uh, so I'm curious, do you think that, um, or maybe not think, but how is, uh, from your perspective, the, the children user behavior with voice enabled experiences different from uh, older demographics? Is there anything very specific that you see is, is different with how children engage with uh, a voice enabled device? Uh, um, a few, a few different observations. One, kids at some level assume you should be able to talk to any device. So I think Colin, you and I might've talked about this at one point. I think there's a story of a kid going up to a toaster and saying like toast or something and like, it doesn't do anything. And they're dumb. You know, why is the toaster broken? Um, so, and, and in a certain way, like they're kind of right. Like imagine you just open the toaster and put bread in it and you say, toast this to, you know, light golden brown. Like there's technology available today. Like we could, you know, a group of us could start on a project tomorrow and do the voice activated toaster. Although I happen to think like many toasters are not, they're, they don't work that well, even with the dial that says light brown toast. But, but putting that aside, like we could go build the voice activated toaster. So I think kids expect voice to work. So that's number one. And in some ways, the younger they are, uh, the more true that is. Irina had this observation. Um, she has two sons. Uh, now they're, uh, I think, 10 and 16 or maybe 11 and 16. But when we started this, her youngest was seven. And much of his first interaction with computing devices was, you know, grabbing her phone and asking Siri to do something for him. So, you know, that's just going to be more and more true. So they, first of all, they expect it to work. Um, with voice. Second of all, I think they're, they're better at finding a way to ask the question or answer the question in our case that eventually works. Um, and so I think if you give an adult um, a, a voice-based device for the first time ever, um, their, their temptation is often to some people just give up. They're like, well, I asked it this way. It didn't know what I was talking about. This seems too hard for me. And, you know, they're like, well, I'm happy with my laptop. <laughs> so, but kids are like very flexible. They'll, you know, they'll be, I mean, you, you have to think back. I've been in, in computing long enough to remember when like just the notion of search was it not even web search, just search was not a standard part of every app, you know, it was, it, and now if you don't have search um, in most apps, you know, something's, you're missing something. And, but when search first happened, some people were like, wait, where's the list? You know, where's the list of things I can do? And you're like, no, no, no. You, what you do is you type in what you're trying to do and hit the search button. And so, you know, people were like, I don't get it. Or they would, you know, they would search with really long search terms, like tell me the way that I can get from my house to, you know, downtown using only bike lanes <laughs> and it comes back with junk. So I kind of liken what kids are doing on um, voice devices to like people who really knew how to use search when search first came out, like they know what they're doing and we should trust them. Um, 
and you know, frankly, make our voice interfaces work for kids because um, I think we'll probably all learn a lot. Like there, I don't, I don't quite know how to say it any in any different way. Just kids will use it. Um, you know, follow their lead. Maybe is the way to think about it. Yeah. And I think that that idea of uh, like they expect to be able to talk to devices. Uh, that's certainly something where voice is not an expected modality in, in a lot of other domains um, outside of just the, the purely voice enabled devices. So it's interesting, like how can we uh, almost work as an industry to make uh, voice become more of an expected modality in places like uh, mobile or, or with our, our laptops and, and other devices. Uh, I think it's just a function of, you know, creating better user experiences probably, but um, I, I know that uh, Bamboo Learning, at least today, uh, has focused pretty much uh, outside of the classroom. But do you think that there's also a natural fit for voice inside classrooms as well, whether it's for uh, the students or, or maybe as a tool for, for teachers? Yeah, I mean, very directly, what we've heard from teachers in schools is get on the iPad and we'll use this, you know, at home and in school. And, you know, iPads, I think a lot of times kids have headphones with their iPads anyway, um, you know, when they're doing stuff at school. So I think it's, uh, I think we're going to see the Bamboo Learning app. Uh, when we've talked to a few schools already, they're saying, yeah, like every kid gets an iPad. They're expected to take it home every night. We give them some assignments at home. So Bamboo Learning could be part of those assignments. Then they come back and sometimes they're working with a teacher in small groups again on the same app. They're just doing it at school. And as far as we're concerned, um, the iPad uh, version of Bamboo Learning, it, it, like it should be pretty easy to use at school. Um, you know, the I think Amazon's shied away from it a little bit um, for a number of reasons. But, you know, I also think like, they're, those devices are sort of far field, like open to the room by design, which is good at home, but not always good at school. So I think that's part of the form factor issues. I, I think if that's going to change too, um, you know, I would love nothing more than to help Amazon and Google get into more schools with their voice based devices. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just going to where, uh, where the kids are, the kids are on iPads. And they're in, on iPads at home and they're on iPads at school. So we're going to be there. Yeah, no, maybe, maybe that's even a good segue um, into uh, the last topic. Uh, so we spent a lot of time thinking or, or discussing that the past and, and present of voice-enabled experiences, which uh, definitely wanted to spend the majority of our time on so that people can leave a sort of practical um, and, and different insights that they can maybe put themselves put into practice themselves. But I do also want to at least spend a few minutes looking at, at the future. Um, so do, do you think that there are any experiences or um, different trends within voice that in the near future, so the, the next handful of years, um, that almost seem inevitable uh, for voice UIs, whether that's within the educational space or, or outside of the edu educational space? Would, would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, um, certainly within education, we believe uh, conversational-based learning is critical. And um, we've designed the first ever learning-based app 
that uses voice and touch on the iPad. No one's ever done that before. And, and kids get to pick on every single question. Are they going to use voice or touch? And I think that's like, in a way, that's what kids, like part of what we were just talking about, like kids expect it to be voice. But Irina's insight is kids will do what's ever easiest for them. And, and sometimes even on the same question, you know, a week apart, at that moment in time, it might just be easier for that child to tap the screen or say, you know, Dorothy or grumpy or, you know, whatever it is. And so that conversational based learning, um, although we are focused on kids uh, in kindergarten through first grade, uh, sorry, fifth grade, uh, you know, five to 11 year olds, um, we have long thought about conversational based learning for uh, certainly for older kids, you know, grade six through 12. I mean, imagine, although I think there's a move away for, from standardized tests, just the pandemic kind of, and a bunch of other things, much of which I agree with kind of said, yeah, maybe these standardized tests aren't what we thought they were, but you know, vocabulary building with much more complex words, like we could turn that on in two months and have a vocabulary building app for kids who are in high school. <clears throat> and I think you want to do that through, through a conversation. Um, one sec. <laughs> um, so I think uh, certainly among the, the younger, um, younger kids, just because I don't see any sign of um, adults getting less busy anytime soon like opening up this way that kids can continue to learn, just having an interaction, a, a, a conversation-based interaction with a smart application, like we invested in it because we think it is the future. Um, more broadly, outside of education, um, I, I think it's important to think through uh, the types of applications that are actually clearly better with voice. Um, when we first started thinking about Fire TV at Amazon, um, I had spent a fair amount of time in the video streaming space before Amazon and, and sort of close enough to it at Amazon. That one of the things I knew for sure is a lean back experience, what we used to call in the 90s, and lean back experience where you're sitting on the couch watching TV, um, watching a movie that you pick or TV show that you pick, you don't want a keyboard and a mouse. To, so if the minute you have a remote in your hand and you're trying to hunt and peck in a remote, like you just took, like my, my favorite example inside the walls of Amazon was, what if I just wanna see all the Gene Hackman movies? Cause I love Gene Hackman. Well, what if I can pick up the remote and say Gene Hackman movies? And there's a list like that saved tons of like hunting on your remote. It's like, so that's a really good application for voice. And, you know, I think, um, I think even that, I think anybody with a voice-based TV platform could go one even better, like, you notice if you say Gene Hackman movies, you can't, I don't think, unless Amazon's done something recently, 
so let's say you get a bit in Gene Hackman's been in probably 200 movies. So in a way that's not that helpful, but then, so the Gene Hackman movies come up and then you're like, was he in anything with Tom Cruise with voice, right? So suddenly you're filtering out all the Gene Hackman movies that didn't have Tom Cruise. And maybe you get, I know you get the firm because they were in that together. And I don't know if they're, but so to me, that's a conversation-based interface that actually Amazon could implement tomorrow and hasn't done it. Another one I've thought of, uh, so I guess what I would say is the things where the form factor is, it's a disadvantage to use a keyboard. So the, certainly lean back um, or um, it's actually just easier to say it than to type it. So I'll give you another one. I'm dying for someone to build the ultimate photo app that is voice driven. You know, let's say you got your iPad or your Google tablet or your Fire tablet or your, you know, your Roku or, but you got some friends over and you're, you're saying, um, I mean, this also, you, you think about sort of audio in the ambience, there's just audio in your house. And, um, and you say, and you're talking about your trip to Peru and you say, yeah, Peru is amazing. You know, people all go to Machu Picchu and you have to go to Machu Picchu, but the sacred Valley is really amazing. And you just say, you know, computer or Alexa or Hey Google or Hey Siri, show me, show my friends, my best photos from the sacred Valley. And it just could appear. And it could appear on whatever screen is right near you at the time. Like the technology exists to do that. And so no one's done the ultimate photo app. And, you know, you can go one, one better. Like, can you show me the boat I took outside of Croatia on my trip in 2019? Like, boom, a voice interface can do that so much faster than you can like flip through all the stuff on your current photo app. So like somebody should do that. So I think those things that are, um, what, I'll just give people, anybody out there listening um, some hints and I haven't thought about this deeply enough yet, but Amazon um, has great search and browse for products. And there's a reason for that. And I mean, it did start through its history with books, but um, uh, search, um, and, and there's also different modes of search. So there was this notion of spear phishing, and that's when you have a specific title that you wanna get. And so you can type in, you know, um, The Wizard of Oz and you'll get, you know, the book. Um, and so that's spear phishing because you're looking for a specific thing. Um, but sometimes you might wanna see, you know, uh, novels, based in, well, you can type that into, actually, that's probably one that maybe doesn't do that well on Amazon, but, um, but you could do like, um, uh, what would be a good sort of general search? Um, well, just big screen TVs, right? You don't know exactly which big screen TV you want and, and you might not want to browse, like it's just going to bring you the top big screen TVs. On the other hand, um, sometimes it's better to browse. So the reason I bring these things up, I kind of, I think the voice interfaces that are the best that, are, that would be 
I think Amazon has this notion of multi-turn or maybe somebody else came up with that conversational based. I think what we're doing now mostly is not really conversational based. It's not, we're not really, so think of it this way. If my Gene Hackman example, it's neither spear phishing nor sort of generally browsing through all the Gene Hackman movies. It's like narrowing and narrowing. It's, it's refined. I guess what I would call it is refined search with voice through a conversation. And I think the more you can come up with apps that do that, and I would argue often with a screen, doesn't have to be with a screen, the, the more you're going to be building much more innovative, useful um, voice-based voice apps. That's what I would say. Uh, so, so think about the, what you can do in the follow-up conversation to narrow and narrow and narrow. And the photo example, I think is the best. It's that we can all understand it. Show me photos from the sacred Valley. Oh, and how about the one where I climbed up that, that one ruin that was really steep. Like that is totally doable with today's technology. Yeah. And I think it's a really good use case. Yeah. So it almost sounds like what, what is, what you see is like some of these inevitable use cases are, somewhat revolves around making voice just a more prominent input modality feature in experiences that, that we're already familiar with. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. And, and um, this is, this is very tricky because I, I, the trick is I think the, the voice interface has to be really smart about when to hang out and keep listening or to offer something that, so let's say we're going back to the Gene Hackman case. Computer, show me the Gene Hackman movies. It comes up with a list of 200 and then it comes back and says, there's over 200 Gene Hackman movies. You know, you might try to narrow it by picking a time range or another actor that was in a movie with Gene Hackman. Um, should I narrow it for you? You know, or like you have to, like, you don't want to say, should I narrow it for you? Cause you don't want the person saying yes, you just want them to narrow it. Yeah. And, and so I think that like figuring that out, I believe is, is maybe going to be the next um, big innovation in um, voice-based apps. I think, I guess I would argue right now, and I don't know if it's just sort of buggy and Amazon's collecting data but I have noticed, and I might have a setting turned on that maybe is not turned on by default for everyone, but Alexa is much more talky about follow-ups after I ask it something in the last month or so. And sometimes that, um, and I would, unfortunately, I would say more often than not, the thing that Amazon wants me to engage on is actually totally not helpful and counter helpful. So an example I can remember, I think I asked, I can't remember it was the, for the weather. It was a, a pretty, might've been the time. It was a pretty innocuous thing. And then I got, you know, let's say it was the weather today. It's going to be 45 degrees and rainy in Seattle, which, you know, it always is this time of year. And then it said, did you know that Amazon has meat thermometers? And I'm like, that is so irrelevant. 
like who who built that algorithm <laughs> you know i mean it was and i've heard a bunch of these happening lately and i just think like they're trying to follow up but whatever is happening now it's not working that well and um again it might be a setting i have like that's a little more experimental for me and you know so i should be a little more tolerant but um but i think like if you're going to have a follow-up prompt i guess i would start with the things where you know where you have like a 95 percent chance of being helpful yeah. like if i said what's the weather today and and alexa does do this um what's the weather today I get the answer and then Alexa says, you know, would you like to know the weather for the rest of the week? Like that's a perfectly reasonable conversation to continue or show me Gene Hackman movies and, you know, it can know that there's 200 and say, you know, I can narrow this for you by decade or blah, blah, blah. Like you, you want those, you want that type of conversation, not the irrelevant one about the meat thermometer. Yeah. Some of those uh, intended to be helpful suggestions have almost gotten these devices thrown out of my house altogether by my fiance. So yeah, very, yeah. very counterintuitive to the, 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 probably the intended uh, goal, but uh, Ian, I, I think um, we, we spent a lot of time uh, today talking about voice. I, I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, I'm leaving with a lot of different questions that I, I would love to, you know, keep you here for another two or three hours digging deeper on, but um I, I do really appreciate the time that you did spend with us uh, here today in this conversation. Um, where can listeners find out more info about what you're working on, uh, the new Bamboo Learning app for, for iOS? Where, where would you point people to, uh, to to follow everything Bamboo Learning? Yeah, um, pretty, pretty simple. Uh, you can certainly go to our website at uh, bamboolearning.com. Uh, just one word. Um, and uh, we, we're also uh, out there on social media with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, we have a LinkedIn page also. Um, or you can just go to the app store uh, and download it and uh, you just do a search for Bamboo Learning and uh, you'll see a, a cute little panda with a green background. That's us. Uh, and you can download it and try it. Um, even you know if you don't have kids in this age range, we'd love to hear from you if you try it and, and like it, um, or if you don't and have recommendations, like, you know, I, I don't think we'll recommend a meat thermometer for you within the app, but if I'm sure we did a bunch of things wrong. So the feedback is always welcome. Uh, but I, you know, Colin, I really appreciate you in inviting me to the podcast and uh, I had a lot of fun. You had great questions for me and brought back some fond memories. Uh, and I'm glad we could share, uh, I guess, past, present, and future uh, of what, at least my perspective uh, on what's going on in voice. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for taking the time, Ian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Speechly podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion and are interested in the world of voice user interfaces, we would love if you subscribed and checked out future episodes. And if you are ready to integrate a voice user interface in your website or application, or if you would just like to learn more about the opportunities with voice user interfaces, you should check out our website at speechly.com.